93 WBT Pete Callender Show. I'm Pete Callender. Thanks a lot for hanging out with me. I appreciate it. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. And uh, Jerry, welcome to the program. Hello, Jerry. How are you? Hey, Pete. How are you? I'm good. What's uh, up? I thought of extra stuff while I was on hold. So uh, four quick questions um, about the variant. Who are they, oh, sorry, how are they determining the Delta variant and now this new Mu variant? And who are they, in quotes? Um, also, read about a doctor in Novant that was treated with Regeneron and monoclonal antibodies. Mm-hmm. And I've reached out to try to find out if they're offering that to any other patients. Haven't been able to find that out. Nor have I been able to find out um, if any of the health systems are offering any of the other therapeutics to patients, I wonder why aren't those being used or at least offered for people to choose? So the first question about how they how they know it's the Delta variant, I believe the testing on that occurs uh, after somebody goes in, like after they draw the samples or whatever. So first they pop a positive on, a, I guess, a PCR test as a COVID-19 positive, and then they send that stuff off, and there's a bit of a lag to determining... Uh, if something is the Delta variant or one of the other variants, right? Like that's so it's there. That's the way they determine that is on the lab testing after the fact. That's my understanding of it. They would be whoever it is that you went in to, um, you know, to get the test from. If you went to the county health clinic or something, or you go to the hospital, uh, they send that off to the lab, and then the lab reports those numbers to, like in North Carolina, the DHHS and the hospitals would have that information. So that would be the they, I believe. Does that answer the question, the first question? Well, but that's the they who's doing the testing. Who, who, who initially found the Delta variant, and now who found the, the Mu variant? Well, I, I, the, I don't know. I'm a little cynical. Well, I mean, you could be cynical about that. That's fine. I mean, I think you could probably narrow it down if you start looking back. I don't know what, how long has the Delta variant been running around? Like, Two months or so. It came out of India, so they were the ones. And now there's, you know, they're the, because viruses mutate. Like that's what viruses do. They all mutate, which was one of my criticisms yeah. of the coverage when they announced, "Oh my gosh, these viruses are mutating!" Ah, everybody can be scared. Like, but that's what viruses. We knew they were going to do that. Every virus does that. Like, um, so I don't understand why everybody freaked out that there were variants, that there were mutations, and generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, the mutations they get more contagious, but they get less deadly. Um, which goes to my earlier point about, like, what's the fatality rate? What Infection fatality rates, case fatality rates, and are they different for, co- uh, for uh, you know, the alpha COVID-19 and the Delta variants? Like, I, those are important pieces of, of data. So I, I don't think there's some grand conspiracy to make up variants. I think viruses are going to virus, <laughs> and that's what is going on there. So, uh, and I'm not, I'm not trying to disabuse you if you do believe there's a, some conspiracy about that. I, <laughs> it's okay. I, I, yeah, I just, I, I, I'm not on that train with you. So um, there's that. Then you asked about Regeneron and the monoclonal antibodies. Uh, G- Governor Cooper, they just made some announcement yesterday. I'm, uh, like I'm, the data or the, uh, the news cycle this week has been crazy. It's like drinking from a fire hose. So I apologize. I didn't get the, uh, the details. But uh, Cooper made an announcement yesterday, I believe it was, announcing like, we got monoclonal antibodies in the state that people can get. So it's not being reserved only for certain people. The problem is it's not, there, there are not a lot of places that have access to, to do it or the expertise to do it, as I understand, but it's because it's ramping up, but it will become more widespread. Uh, I'm not That's sure. Awesome. 
Yeah, it is. I agree. And I'm curious now how a lot of the folks on the left are going to react, because when Ron DeSantis was promoting this, you know, this was all part of some sinister, you know, death Santis kind of project he was undertaking. So I'm kind of curious (laughs) how they're going to react now that Democrat Cooper is doing it. Um, So that's a good uh, that's a good thing. And then as far as the other therapeutics go, I, I mean, I tend to agree with you that I think it's been. Uh, and, and will be uh, part of the, you know, the postmortem on all of this, I think, is going to be a lot of shame in the fact that a lot of patients were basically told, stay home, don't go anywhere and uh, ride it out for two weeks and hope you don't get sicker, because if you do, you're going to the hospital and you're probably going to die. I don't think okay. that was especially at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, that's the, like these are just terrible things. Uh, it's a terrible way to treat patients and your doctor's clinics that closed, you know. Uh, because everyone was so terrified of what was happening and um, that it's very difficult to break out of that fear cycle uh, when, you know, people are just feeding it over and over every single day with more and more stories. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Everything is terrible. We're all going to die. And uh, true. We are all going to die. Absolutely true. Yeah, life is a race against death that we all lose. So um, uh, but that's no reason to live in fear. Right. Um, and I think that the way doctors kind of abandoned uh, some of their patients uh, and did not try to help them with therapeutics and maybe led them into the hospitals in the first place. Um, I, yeah, I, I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, there's a lot of shame, I think, that's attached to that. And, and we'll find out more of that, I think, in the future. Does that answer that question? Awesome. You did great. Well, I thank threw you. a lot at you. Two things real quick. I guess if these introduced monoclonal antibodies, the availability of Regeneron, I'm going to have to stop referring to him online as idiot Governor Cooper. Um, well, I'm not, uh, let's not is, rush. Let's not, let's not be hasty, Jerry. Let's not be hasty. <laughs> That's right. yeah, I called him that this morning, I think. I wonder, though, whether they will reserve that, though, for vaccinated people only or whether they will allow unvaccinated people to receive that treatment. That's another whole issue. Sure. Yeah. And I've been, yeah. And I'm, I'm concerned when I hear those types of stories, Uh, you know, and I've heard doctors make this argument. Well, you know what? We shouldn't just treat somebody uh, who uh, didn't get vaccinated. Yeah. Okay. Well, how about like, how about really obese people uh, who have heart attacks, right? Heart disease, leading killer of Americans. You're just not going to treat them because they obviously abused their bodies and didn't follow doctor's orders for decades so what, they don't get treatment, just let them die, too? Like, this does open a whole new world of, uh, of possibilities here when it comes to preserving bed space and cutting down on, uh, on medical costs, right? Healthcare, like, we could, re- we could really save a lot of money in the healthcare industry just not treating anybody. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think this is an interesting area to explore. Jerry, thanks for the call. I do appreciate it. Um, I mean, I don't want to brag or anything, but I think I nailed like all six of her questions. Six out of six. I'm just saying, if, like, if that was a test and I got the extra credit, it feels like that. Well, here's one of the things. I was concerned. My risk assessment of myself was that I'd gotten up to 255 pounds. I'd never been that heavy in my life. And, uh, and I could tell. Like I could tell it was having an impact on like I was getting winded, uh, you know, like uh, standing up from the chair. <laughs> tying my shoes. I would uh, and I have to hold my breath because the, when the stomach started getting so big that you could feel it like press against the lungs as you're tying your shoe, then, you know, yeah, you need to do something. So I heard PhD weight loss and nutrition advertising on WBT when I came to town. I was like, I know PhD because 
they're uh, out of Asheville, and one of my coworkers at my last job, he and his wife, they did PhD weight loss, and they lost a combined somewhere in the neighborhood of like 200 pounds, and they'd kept it off for like years. So I was like, I know it works, so I'm going to go do that. And so I did, and so I have. And so now I've been on it three weeks, went in for my weigh-in yesterday, and total poundage dropped is 20 pounds now. I lost another like three pounds uh, yesterday. I'm rounding up, but it's like 2.6, so I'm totally allowed to round up. That was three pounds. So total weight loss, 20 pounds in three weeks. Go to their website, myphdweightloss.com. That's myphdweightloss.com. And uh, make yourself an appointment for your consultation. Do it now. You can also call them at 800-674-8991. They can do remote stuff. I go in for the weigh-ins. Keeps me more accountable. Also, telling everybody about how, how much I weigh now. That also keeps me accountable. <laughs> so, uh, And they will help you find ways for you to be accountable as well. So give them a call, 800-674-8991 or myphdweightloss.com and take your first step today. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Let me jump over here to talk with Olivia. Hello, Olivia. How are you? Hi, Pete. Hey. I'm following up on your last caller and your conversation at the end about whether unvaccinated patients will be medically treated um, and given the standard of care as unvaccinated. Yeah. Uh, Because here's the deal. If I'm a smoker and then I get lung cancer, I would expect uh, the same standard of treatment from somebody that didn't. Or if right. I don't have a mammogram and I come down with breast cancer, I don't. I wouldn't think that I'm thrown out to the wolves to find my own treatment. So what I I think I think the general public actually deserves to know that now. Mm-hmm. And so next time Atrium and Novant have and Caremont has their press conference like they did yesterday, you send Mark Garrison and Brett Jensen in with that question uh, because we need to know um, because if they're not, it seems to me that would be something that needs to be up front and then they need to get the medical malpractice attorneys in on it because to me that seems like medical malpractice. What do you think? So, yeah, I think every uh, every statement I have seen from hospitals has always been the same when this question comes up, which is, of course, we treat everybody the same when they come in. They all say that same thing. The the what is happening, though, you've got certain doctors and this is global. And then they get, you know, they'll make some comments on a social media or whatever. And uh, and then that get it goes viral. Right. And then people are like, oh, this is what they're talking about. And you got a handful of these, you know, nurses or doctors or whatever. And they make these comments and that then Mm -hmm. that goes viral. But I think like I'm not aware of any hospitals right now that are saying we're doing anything like that. We're even considering doing anything like that. So, uh, like, it, yeah, as soon as, well, I'm, yeah, honestly, it's like, if anybody starts doing that, then yes, that would be very big news, but they're not. So, well, keep your ear to yeah. I did hear of a situation this morning. Um, uh, the husband and wife, husband has cancer, wife unvaccinated, not allowed to come back 
in exam room and treatment chemo base. Mm-hmm. And that was in, in a, with a Charlotte oncologist. Mm-hmm. So I heard that this morning. So that so they would do the same great. thing though. Like would they, I mean, look, honestly, like would they do the same thing? And I don't know if it matters anymore because if you're vaccinated, you could also still carry it. So like, I don't even right. know, That's maybe the they just shouldn't be letting anybody back there with the chemo patient, right? That, that would be the thing. You've got to treat everybody equally. So the patients are therefore back there by their lonesome selves. Yeah. Which with is nurses crummy. that are over work and not nobody's looking at how rate how fast that drip rate's going and there just always needs to be an extra set of eyes and ears when somebody's in that um, crisis mode so i hear you you have brett mark and brett keep their ears open on that all right yeah appreciate it thank you yeah thanks thanks for the call livia i appreciate it let me jump over here who is this mark is up next hello mark how are you welcome hi pete um I was just, uh, I have been through, um, um, my call, as, as I told your screener, is that we're talking about at, an, I want to uh, segue off the uh, caller you had, the same caller as the call, the prior caller here. We're treatment at an MD uh, or a dentist on other practices separate from a hospital, unvaccinated, who just said, oh, how about just a lab? who just wants a, let's say, hypothetical, they want a blood antibody panel done. And if I were told that since I'm unvaccinated, I could only get a PCR test, I would just say, thank you for sharing, and bank my recording of the phone conversation or the face-to-face interaction and uh, find somewhere else. And if I couldn't, I would lodge a complaint with the BBB about that. That's my only only thing. See, I, I've had COVID. I had a non-invasive uh, blood antibody test done a year ago, and I want to update that. So mm-hmm. you see the uh, see the conundrum I've, I've oh, here's been a, in. And yes, so you... and yes, I'm over, I'm over the symptoms of long COVID, of uh, a temporary loss of, uh, well, here's sense a... of smell, uh, sense Mark... of smell, hair loss, and yeah. memory loss. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you are, but if I, I can, I can maybe help you with uh, your dilemma. Go give blood. Gosh. <laughs> yeah, go donate blood. They'll screen it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, that's basically. I said I was wondering whether it was going to be a, whether I was going to want to have a unit or a, you know just get the. Uh, well, if you get, wait till September 30th, you can come on down to the WBT uh, second annual uh, blood drive that we're doing the the Little Heroes Blood Drive. You know, September 30th is a, a Community Matters Cafe, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Okay, P. I'll keep that. Thanks, right, for the pl- thanks for the plug. Yeah, sure. Oh no, thank you for letting me plug it. Um, no, yeah, like that, that's how I tested uh, like a year ago. I went in, I donated well platelets, and they uh, this was up in Asheville, and they you know they check all the blood and test to see if you got the antibodies, and I did not have the antibodies. I was very disappointed. I was not sick at some point. <laughs> it's the only time. <laughs> the only time I feel like I've I've ever been let down that I was well. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I was kind of hoping I had it so I wouldn't have to worry about it, but then this was pre-vaccine too. So, uh, now I don't know what would happen. I, I guess, well, no, I guess I don't have the antibodies. I've got the MRNA. So, uh, I'm, yeah, well, I'll find out at the end of the month when I donate again, if I've got the antibodies now. So yeah, come on down, see us, make it, a, uh, make an appointment Thursday, September 30th at the Community Matters Cafe. Uh, all right, we're going to, um, I'm going to shift gears here because we've got Becky Gray coming in from the John Locke Foundation to get a legislative update. 
News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Joining me now is the Vice President of the John Locke Foundation, Becky Gray. Welcome to the show. Becky, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Pete. It's just great to connect with you again. Yeah, so um, how's long session treating you? <laughs> uh, well, very long, very tiring. Um, you know, North, Carol- North Carolina is one of only 11 states that does not have some sort of session limits. We can go until we're finished with our business. And so what we're seeing is they're, they're really taking them up on that offer and continue because here we are, what, going into September, we're hearing that the session may go at least three more weeks. Um, so this is longer than the usual long session is, but they have a lot of work to do. More, more money available than they've ever had before. There's certainly a lot going on. But, yeah, the, the long session has really become the long session. Right. The, and so usually they have a budget already done by now. They do not at this point. So where do we stand with that? Is that the reason why they're thinking three weeks? Um, yeah, probably so. And, yeah, um, Pete, we are only one of two states in the country that has not passed a budget. Our fiscal year ended on June 30th. Now, the other state, Michigan, that does not have a budget enacted, their fiscal year doesn't end until September 30th. So a little bit different scenario between the two states that still have not enacted a budget. Now, North Carolina in 2015 passed a law that said if we don't have a budget in place at the beginning of the new fiscal year, which is the situation that we have this year, of course, then we just revert to the current level of spending, the the budget that was passed the previous year. And so that's why we can continue, because when people say, well, the fiscal year ended and we don't have a budget, does that mean nobody's getting, you know, our teachers aren't getting paid, our law enforcement officers? No, there was a 2015 bill that was put into place that when we have a circumstance like this, government can go on, but... And, and, and we can go on like this indefinitely, um, but there are a lot of things on the table. There's a lot of that federal money for in response to the COVID relief that is waiting to be distributed, a lot of needs associated with that. Um, there are teacher pay increases, state employee pay increases, different bonuses for our state employees at different levels that's in this budget that a lot of people would like to see passed. Interestingly enough, too, Pete, since Governor Cooper has been the governor, he has vetoed every single budget that the Republicans can have sent over to him. So the question for this year is, and now the budget has not been sent to him yet, they are talking to him as they're putting this together. But, you know, one of the, I guess, the $25 billion question is when the General Assembly gets this budget together, gets it over to him, will Governor Cooper sign it? If he does, it'll be the first budget that he has signed since he has been governor. So the reason why he has not signed past budgets is, um, and I will say this, that he has attempted to use Medicaid expansion as leverage um, to, or, or I should say, he has tried to use uh, his approval and teacher pay raises and such as leverage to get Medicaid expansion. That's what he has been wanting, and uh, he and and he gets teachers uh, union uh, uh, representatives to back his play on that. He has, uh, and the last time around, it ended up with no teacher pay raises. So I'm not sure they're willing to go along with him in this gamble again. But maybe they do. I don't know. But um, is there any indication that he's 
that he's not going to try to do the same sort of a tactic to hold the whole budget hostage over Medicaid expansion? Well, he certainly could, and that's one thing that he has mentioned. You know, previous what we saw, I mean, he really drew the line in the sand and said, I'm not going to sign a budget that doesn't have Medicaid expansion. And the right. General Assembly said, we're not going to expand Medicaid, and we're not kidding. Um, you know, so we haven't had a budget. Um, he has said that he believes that Medicaid expansion should be done. The General Assembly has said, we're not going to do it. So I think he's finally gotten the message that Medicaid expansion is not going to be part of this. And as you mentioned, in the, this previous budget where he kind of hung his hat on Medicaid expansion, there was a whole lot of other stuff in those budgets. The teacher pay increases, as you mentioned, also pay increases for state employees, was also part of that budget that when he draw, drew the line in the sand, that budget went away. So right. I think that the teachers may have reconsidered um, their stand on Medicaid expansion. And as you mentioned, it, it certainly felt like that they were care the teacher union yeah. was carrying his water for Medicaid expansion, hoping to get the teacher pay increases. And I think that that now the the discussion this year, this budget cycle, is very different in that everything isn't tied to Medicaid expansion. There are substantial pay increases in whether it's, whether we go with the Senate plan or the House plan, teachers will get pay increases. There's also substantial tax cuts and tax reforms in both of these proposals. Um, there is a lot of money to go into the rainy day funds, and we've seen this so recently. Pete, in your old stomping ground up in the western part of the state and the terrible flooding that we've yeah. had and the damage that is left, you know, thank goodness we have some money in that rainy day fund. Um, you know, all of these things, we don't know the details of the budget yet, but some some reiteration of these things will be included in it. In addition, there are huge capital expenditures for new school buildings, for water and sewer, for infrastructure, um, you know, things that many people, myself included, believe have been neglected. And now that we have some of this COVID money coming in, we have a surplus of revenue. Now is the time to address those one-time needs with one-time money that we have and really get get those projects underway. So there's a, there's a lot at risk in this budget. There's a lot. No budget is perfect. You know, it can always do more. It can always be more. Um, but this is a really, really responsible budget. I think the governor is going to – and, again, we don't know the details of, right. you know, every single line item. But kind of these overall themes that I've mentioned, Yeah. Um, I think the governor is going to have a real hard time vetoing. Well, I, to that point, though, doesn't it – isn't the legislature going to make it easier for him to veto it if they put policy stuff in there? Like – these different bills that they're running separately, like the Emergency Management Act fix, which I support, but should it be in the budget? You know, like these policy things, he said, don't put them in there. And if they do, does that not just give him the, like uh, uh, the cover to veto? Well, I, I think if he wants to veto this budget, he's going to find lots of excuses sure. for doing so. Realistically, you know, and I've had heard that, too, mostly from people on the left who don't like this budget and perhaps are looking for giving Governor Cooper reasons to veto it. Um, Pete, I've been watching these budgets and monitoring this since since 2000. There's always policy in the state budget. The governor's budget that he sent over earlier this year 
has policy in it. So, you know, that that's kind of an argument that rings hollow. Should some of those things, and, and, and you and I agree on the emergency management, should some of those policy issues be run as individual bills and have a debate, have a, have a, a, a wide debate and um, a, a thorough investigation of some of those serious policy issues. Yes, I think that is. I think that is good government. A lot of these things, these policy, and I'm sort of doing the air quotes. You can't see me because we're on the radio. <laughs> uh, but some some of these policy issues have been run as separate bills, and they're now being incorporated into the budget. So right. yes, there's policy in the budget. Could the governor use this as an excuse to veto the budget? Yes. Is there always policy in the budget? Yes. Uh, can you stick around? I want to ask you about a couple other pieces of legislation. I'd That's be delighted right. to. Great. Okay, Thanks. so more with Becky Gray, the vice president for the John Locke Foundation, their website, johnlocke.org. Vice president for the John Locke Foundation, Becky Gray is my guest. And uh, Becky, so a couple other pieces of legislation uh, on the uh, legislative radar that either got action or debate, uh, I guess. Uh, there was the big one on um, critical race theory. Um, where does that, I mean, this is going to get the governor's veto, I assume, right? It passed the Senate and uh, House now, and I assume it's on the fast track for veto city. Well, unfortunately, um, I think you're probably right. You know, the problem with this bill is that it has been misunderstood. It's been misrepresented. And that hype gets out there, and then social media just kind of fuels it. And um, I think that bill is House Bill 324, um, and that's one, Pete, that I really would recommend that people read the bill to understand what it does. The bill does not mention critical race theory. Mm-hmm. The bill talks about you know, should teachers in our classrooms promote ideas like one race or one sex is better and superior than another race? Should teachers promote the idea that one race is oppressed by another, just inherently? like seven different things. And I would just challenge anyone, whatever your political persuasion may be, to read that bill and to look at the the things that would be prohibited from being promoted yeah. in our classes and tell me that, that you disagree with the position that this bill lays out. So I think it's a shame that this has been hijacked um, and an idea who's a, 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 an idea whose time has certainly come. It is certainly timely and has just really been hijacked and misrepresented as to what it really does. And yes, Pete, to answer your question, unfortunately, I think the governor is probably going to veto it, and I think it's a shame. Um, what uh, There was a bill I just saw that the governor vetoed as well, Senate Bill 636 on donor privacy. Your organization, I think, probably uh, it has been following uh, this bill. What is the donor privacy bill? What was that about? Yeah, and Pete, you know, this is another thing that has been so misrepresented. This bill is very simple. What it does is it says for a charity or a nonprofit organization that their donors, if you choose to give money to a charity, to a nonprofit, to your church, to a group that you believe in, um, your name and your donation has to remain private unless you choose to disclose it. And this comes about, there's a long history with this. It actually started 
1950s at the beginning of the Civil Rights Movement when the state of Alabama compelled the NAACP to disclose who their supporters were. Well, you know, you can imagine where that went. The U.S. Supreme Court said you cannot do that. We've seen that go forward through the years of clarifying the difference between charitable, nonprofit, issue-driven giving and political electioneering campaign giving. So there's already lots of laws in place that control campaign money, campaign financing. It doesn't have anything to do with that. What this is talking about is if you choose to give money to a charity or nonprofit or, you know, issue advocacy, um, that your name can't be disclosed. What we've seen from a practical standpoint is that donors to some of these, these groups and these organizations, their names are published. They are subject to harassment, intimidation, losing their job. In some case, um, you know, the safety of themselves and their family has been threatened. Um, you know, in this hyper-political, hyper-partisan um, environment that we live in, um, you know, if people believe that their name is going to be disclosed, whether they give money to Planned Parenthood or the NRA or, um, you know, in any charity, I mean, it, that again, it applies across the board. These are First Amendment freedom of speech rights that you're talking about. But if people believe that their name will be disclosed and their neighbors or their boss or, you know, people they go to church with or whatever um, is disclosed against their will, it's going to have a real chilling effect on charitable giving and, you know, the, um, the, the faith community and the um, advocacy committee um, community. And so that's what this bill did. That's, what, that's all it does. Yeah, and what of the argument again, that you hear from folks who are like, well, you know what, um, you know, we need to know, like, who's buying our elections and who's buying our politicians? And, and of course we do. But we already have laws in place that make all of that open. And this doesn't have anything to do with that. That's where the confusion comes in. And even in the governor, the governor vetoed it this morning. Um, and even in his um, veto message, he gets it wrong. He talks <laughs> about, um, I, mean, I can't remember exactly, but, you know, the, the misunderstanding. And again, we talked about the um, non-discrimination bill earlier misinformation gets out there. Twitter seems to light a fire with it, and then pretty soon there's misinformation all over the place. And even in the governor's governor's message, I mean, WRAL, not exactly a you know right-leaning media outlet here in Raleigh, um, <laughs> did a politi-fact politi- check on this bill and said these claims that it's just a way to fund political campaigns is, is false. Yeah. But yet that's why the governor vetoed this bill. Well, that's not what the bill does. So it's a little frustrating when you see this, this kind of um, vetoes being issued on false information. Yeah. So his his statement and it was subjects, it subjects donors. Yeah. Um, you know, there's not protection now in place. Now there there has been a Supreme Court U.S. Supreme Court decision recently that says you can't disclose these donors, and this bill would have just made that you know absolutely certain codified the federal decision here in North Carolina. But um, you know, do- donors are at risk here um, with this veto. So uh, his statement was, quote, this legislation is unnecessary and may limit transparency with political contributions. That was that was his statement, which is not accurate. But uh, like, I think Correct. like th- this was the feature, not the bug, though. This is the left wants the donor lists. The right doesn't target donors. They just don't do that. Uh, I mean, 
Like they may put them on it, like say, hey, uh, like uh, the Goodmans, they fund you know all of these uh, left wing organizations. They own uh, the Capital Broadcasting Company, and that owns WRAL. Like it's like mapping the left, right? Like that idea. Like we want to know who these people are that run this stuff. But they don't go out and harass people and try to get them fired. They're not looking at the small-time donors. They're looking at the big institutional donations, essentially. Um, and and this, yeah, yeah the, the targeting is the reason why they want the lists. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And to to chill people's First Amendment freedom of association, freedom of speech rights. And you know, Pete, what I'm afraid is going to happen is people are going to stop contributing money to causes that they believe in. Um, for fear of discrimination and harassment and, you know, as we've said, losing your job or even, you know, your, the, the safety of your family or yourself are put in jeopardy. Yeah. And so I think it's a real dangerous direction to go in. And, again, it has nothing to do with campaigns, with financing of political campaigns. All of that is covered under separate law. There are all kinds of disclosure requirements associated with that. It has nothing to do with this protection of donors to charitable organizations and nonprofit organizations. All right, so we have about a minute, but uh, what are you looking at? What's on your radar now going into next week? Um, well, you know, a couple things we're looking at. The General Assembly is discussing whether or not to have medical marijuana here in North Carolina. It's not a position that my organization, the John Locke Foundation, is taking a position one way or the other, but I think it's really interesting in the different discussions that are going on. This has happened in other states across the country. Virginia has just recently, about a year ago, enacted medical marijuana, and then about 12 months later have made recreational marijuana legal. So this wave is kind of sweeping the country, and how this is going to be play out in North Carolina, I think is is very interesting. We're watching it. Um, there's a couple other bills, Pete, that have to do with um, gambling, mm-hmm. online sports ban- gambling, and there's a um, sweepstakes gambling bill. And again, I think it's just a really interesting discussion. You already have gambling in North Carolina. Gambling is legal in North Carolina. It's called the North Carolina Education Lottery. (laughs) And the problem that the state of North Carolina has had ever since they passed the lottery is if you're going to have government-run gambling, you can't outlaw private sector gambling. You know, you either got to have gambling or not. Yeah. Um, but in North Carolina, we have the state-run government monopoly of gambling. Um, and now there's some um, some ideas and some provisions and some bills and proposals moving in the General Assembly that would open that up. Um, tax it, regulate it. Um, so, that you know, it's another really interesting discussion that we're having. Something else we're watching. Well, really hey, I gotta, I've got to leave it there. I'll tell you, though, uh, we'll see you next Friday and give us an update then. We should have plenty to talk about. <laughs> Thanks, right. have a great Have a great holiday weekend. Thanks, you too. Have a great weekend. And that's Becky Gray from the John Locke Foundation. News is next on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT.